Hello, Parkview. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. It's baptism weekend. I promise I won't hold you down like that, but I'd love for you to be here. Uh, we still got a couple of services left to go. I'm going to be in the tub, and I, I hope you will be a part of it. And also at our campuses, we are doing it all around. Um, somewhere in our midst, we will be doing our 9,000th baptism at Parkview Christian Church since I've been the pastor here. And I'm pretty darn proud of that. Uh, I've been on the road a little bit. I was in, uh, if you follow me on Facebook or whatever, you know that I was in Enid, Oklahoma, hometown Enid, Oklahoma last weekend, preaching for uh, the 40th anniversary celebration of my home church, okay? It's been a long, I mean, you know, I, I graduated from high school there in 1979, okay? Uh, I got ordained there in 1983. I, I'm old. I just want you to see that. But I wanted you to see my certificate because I am cordially commended. I don't know what that means. I'm not just commended. I'm cordially commended. Thank you very much. Um, 1983. So I, I get there and like, you know, all these people look really, really old because I haven't been there in a long time. And, and I guess I probably look a little old too, you know, and I'm talking to this lady who was a real influential lady in my life. She's 93. And, and she just looked at me, Virginia just looked at me and she said, you're supposed to still be a kid. I said, you're supposed to be dead. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird. It's weird going, weird going back and being back there because my parents moved away not long after college for, for me. And, you know, I haven't been back. But, but it was very, very important for me to be there because my dad started the church. I mean, my dad was a pastor. He was a pastor at one church in town. And he started, he saw that growth was happening and the young people were moving over to the other side of town. And they didn't do multi-campus back then. That would have been a great idea. But, but they planted another church. And that was a sacrifice for my parents because some of their friends went over to that church and, you know, and a lot of the young people went over there and that, and I just, they're watching on Facebook live right now. I just want to say, mom and dad, how proud I am of you and your ministry and how much you poured into me. Let's all just be proud of them. Okay. I love you. Um, if you want to know where I get the, it's about them on the outside thing. It's about the one sheep thing that came from my mom and dad. I went from there straight to California for uh, a meeting with, uh, with, the, with our denominational leaders, okay? We're not a part of a denomination, but it's really hard to describe who we are. There are 7,500 Christian churches in the country that have banded together, and we're all independent. We're all autonomous. Um, we all, you know, have our own buildings and our own leadership and do, decide our own things, but we're, cut, we're all cut from the same movement. We call it a tribe. And so several times a year, I, because I'm an older pastor at a larger church, I get together with some of these other people and, and we talk about what life is, what's happening, what's going on, and we just help each other and we help the movement move forward. And that's a big part of what I need to do in this part of my life. But I wanted to explain that to you because we're doing mass baptisms today and some of you are going to be like, well, why do, you know, why do you guys do that, you know, immersion baptism thing? I mean, why, why do you do that? Let me explain the whole thing a little bit, okay? We as Christian churches try to pattern ourselves in our leadership and our methods and everything that we do after the New Testament. All right, we believe in the whole Bible, but the pattern of the first church and how it was set up. And, and, and we try to do it that way. So our sacraments are that way. Communion is, is that way, we, meaning we do it once a week. That's what they did back in the, in the New Testament. Baptism the same way. They baptize by immersion. We know this. I've been to the Holy Land. I've seen the baptistries they use. That's what they did, okay? Many of your friends will tell you, oh, well, you're going to that, that Parkview church. You're going to that modern church, right? It's really, really modern. 
modern. It's a rock and roll church. Well, the truth is, it's really a lot of the, most of the stuff really that, that any church does at this point is not based on what they did back in the Bible. It's based on what tradition has handed down from them along the way. You need to understand there were no priests in the New Testament, okay? There were, there were, just, there were just preachers, there were just pastors, and there was no priesthood office. They didn't start wearing robes until the 4th century. So the pastors in Jesus' day wore jeans and untucked shirts, okay? <laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been to the Holy Land. I know, I know. I mean, they, 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 they just wore like normal clothes, okay? And they were married. I know most of you came from a place, you know, where, where your church leaders weren't married. They were married. I'm married, very happily married. My wife is more happily married than I, you know, than, 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 than I'm more happily married than my wife is. I almost said that backwards. <laughs> And the problem is she's watching me on Facebook Live right now. So, hi, honey, I love you. And, and, I've, and, and the church didn't start doing that marriage thing for like a thousand years after Jesus, okay? They didn't start telling priests they had to be celibate for a thousand years. And the Greeks and the Romans split up over it. If you understand church history, you go back and you go, well, this is a modern church. Well, maybe, but most of the stuff that you think was tradition has only been tradition for a little while. The music, right? Did they have an organ in Jesus' day? Think about it. I know most of us grew up with organs and pianos, and that was the thing that we were supposed to do. But, but they didn't have organs back then. As a matter of fact, when they introduced the organ and the piano into worship services hundreds of years ago, it was hugely controversial. The only time you ever heard a piano back in that day was at a saloon or at a bar, right? Think about a Western movie. Do you imagine the only time you've ever heard a piano was in a saloon and all of a sudden somebody wheels one in in church one day. You're like, oh, that's the devil, right? <laughs> but now it is tradition. You move drums in and it's, you know, oh, we're all going to hell. I mean, this is how, this is how tradition happens. Oh, how come we don't sing the old good hymns like A Mighty Fortress is Our God? I love that hymn. Do you know that A Mighty Fortress is Our God was a bar tune that Martin Luther turned into a worship song? It was literally a drinking song from the bars. I'm having a beer. I don't know how the song went, but, but that's it. That was a tune he turned it in. It would be like me taking Bear Down Chicago Bears and turning it into a praise chorus. A mighty fortress is our God. I mean, come on. These things came along a lot later. How about the Bible tradition? I mean, the King James Bible, that's what we had growing up. Yeah, I know, I know. But that's not James. The guy that wrote that, the king, wasn't the James from the Bible. That was 1,600 years after Jesus. The Bible was written in, in the New Testament was written mostly in Greek. And, and so what we have is a modern translation where people looked at the Greek that it was written in and they made the modern words work because language has changed a lot in the last 400 years since Shakespeare and, and the King James were, were doing the writing, okay? So the, the truth of the matter is Jesus used the common language of the day, okay? There were different, he could have used a, a scholarly type of Greek language, but he, he spoke in the, coin, in, the, in the original Koine common Greek language. That's what he did. And he told stories and he used current illustrations like we're doing with this series playlist. And he, and he had humor. I mean, you can bug me about using humor if you want. I don't care. I'm gonna do it anyway. Because I have ADHD and I have to keep myself going and every once in a while I just need to make a joke, okay? But, but, but Jesus did too. 
You know, I mean, think about what it was like when Jesus said, oh, have you got a, neighbor's got some sawdust in their eye and you're going to get it out, but you got a log sticking out of your own eye. I mean, that, that was irony. That's what they did. I don't know if he did Jeff Foxworthy impressions or not, but he might have. You know, if you build your house on a sand, you might be a redneck. I think that's what he did. I don't think I got translated wrong. And that's funny right there. I don't care what you say. The common people loved Jesus. And the early church was full of common people. And that's what we're trying to be like, relevant for the common people. If you're uncommon, go find another church. That's who we are. Okay? Sacraments. Yes. We do communion weekly. Bread and, and juice, just, just like they did it in the Bible. We're not saying everybody else is wrong. It doesn't matter how anybody else wants to do it. We're not saying everybody ought to change and go our direction. I'm just saying we're going to skip over the 2,000 years of, of traditional stuff that got in the middle, try to go back and look at the New Testament, figure out what they did, and then come back and do it that way as best we can. So we baptize by immersion. It's not baptism into the church. It's not something we're like, we want to do it this way. That's how they did it back then. Not like the preacher's wife who looked out the window one day, saw her, her little son playing with the kittens, and everything seemed fine until all of a sudden she turned around and did some work, and she heard the kittens squawking and, and, and crying out and running and scratching on the door, and she looked out and realized that Johnny was practice baptizing the little kittens in his little pool. You know how kittens hate, you know, water. And, and she said, Johnny, stop that. You're going to drown those kittens. And Johnny just looked up at her with real conviction and said, well, they should have thought of that before they joined my church. <laughs> That's not what we're doing, okay? That's not it. And baptism was an important part of the transformation process of, of people in the Bible. I mean, over and over again. And today, if you haven't done it, we're going to offer you the opportunity. We've already had a bunch of people that have done it. And, and, and if you want to do it, we're going to offer you the opportunity. And I wanted, to take a, uh, I wanted to take an opportunity to talk about something, somebody in the Bible that, that had a radical transformation because the name of the song we're doing today is Changed by Rascal Flatts. And, and it's a radical transformation kind of a thing. And, and I wanted to take an example out of the Bible and I couldn't find a better example than a guy named Saul who was literally the, the persecutor of the church. Like he was a guy who, who was, he was so against the church of Jesus that we know that he was there in Acts chapter 7 when they stoned Stephen, when they killed the first Christian martyr, Saul was there holding their coats. That, that's what we know. While they're throwing rocks at, at this guy who was trying to preach Jesus, okay? He was, he was Christian enemy number one. I mean, in, in, in terms of today, I don't even think you could, I don't think you could match it up. It, you know, I mean, because he'd be almost like a terrorist. He was that much against Christianity. But, but theologically, you could, go, you could go Richard Dawkins or Bill Maher or one of those people that really is so bent against Christianity. And then there is this, there's this change, this transformation that happens in his life. And baptism is involved in it. So I, I thought it was perfect. Here's what Jesus says in the very beginning. Jesus says, he's getting ready to go back to, the, back to heaven, and he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Okay? You're going to get power. He said, just wait here, and you're going to get power 
from on high. We'll talk more about this. And I want you to go to Jerusalem, which was the Jews, and then you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, which was like a, a, a Jewish hybrid, okay? They, they kind of believed in the same God, but they had a bunch of other things that were really, really different. So think Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or somebody like that, Baptist, okay, something. something. Come on, man, I, I really thought I had more Baptists than I have. That's just not, not happened at any, I'm just kidding about the Baptists. Think, think about people that, that, you know, that believe that, you know, that Jesus was only one of nine sons of God. Okay, that's Mormonism. You think about people that believe in God, but there's a whole bunch of other things messed up. And then you have this group of Gentiles, which is what you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are a Gentile. Okay, you got that? All right. I mean, maybe if you got if you if they're we got some Jews in here, so you can just slap them back or whatever because you're not. But that was the delineation. You had Jews and you had Gentiles. Okay, completely religious, different religious background, mostly pagan or nothing. Right, and God sends Saul. Saul, the the chief persecutor of the church, has this huge transformation and it's changed and becomes the guy that goes to the Gentiles. Here's the story. Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Not the guy you think is going to be Paul the apostle. He went to Damascus so that if he found anybody there that belonged to the way, that's what they called it, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I mean, he's, he's, he's rounding them all up. He thinks Jesus is, is dead and he's glad he's dead and he's tired of this heresy and he wants to go fix this, man. And, and so he's rounding them up and bringing them back. But as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I mean, some of you you know, may have had really dramatic conversion stories in your life, you know, something just, I mean, just really, really dramatic. But, but my guess is most of you are like me. It was just kind of a, just kind of a process. And it was just like, okay, this is what I want to do. I didn't get a blinding light. I, I you know, I, I didn't get a, a note on the wall from God. I didn't get any of that stuff. Saul is one of those people that gets like this dramatic thing that happens. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Okay. All right. So in the meantime, God tells a guy named Ananias that Saul is coming. And Ananias says, uh, God, do you know that Saul is like trying to kill all the Christians? And God says, yes. He says, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my people and my name to my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. Ananias placed his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me to you so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. All right, let me stop right there because I've been wrestling with this for a couple of weeks. It's really weird to me that God would use this Jewish guy to go reach the Gentiles. You would think you would use a Gentile to go to the Gentiles, right? But no, he uses Paul, who is this big time Jew. And I mean, don't picture like Adam Sandler or Jerry Seinfeld. Picture Fiddler on the Roof, okay? If, if it was today, he would have that hat on and the little curly things coming down the side because he was that serious about his Judaism. That's who he would be. And I say that because oftentimes when you read the Bible, God uses the least likely people to accomplish his purpose. 
And I've been thinking about that because I preached a little bit about that when I went to my home church in Enid, Oklahoma last weekend. I told my home church, why would God send a guy like me who grew up as a conservative preacher's son in Oklahoma to preach to people from Chicago who grew up Catholic? Why why would he do that? When I moved here, I really thought the Hail Mary was a football play. I, I just, you know, we're almost out of time. Throw it deep. That's foot, That's Oklahoma. That's what I thought. But, but I had to learn all this. And it's often that it's the least likely person that God uses. And that's true when it came to Saul, when it comes to the Apostle Paul. It's actually true of Peter, right? He's a fisherman and, and, and he denies Jesus three times. And he's the one that leads the church of Jerusalem. Here's what happens. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up. And he was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. He got up and he was baptized. So he gets knocked off his horse, led to this city, hasn't eaten for three days. Okay, He's been blind for three days. I don't know about you, but there'd be a whole lot of other things on my list at that point other than going and getting dunked. But that's exactly what he does. It's the first thing he did. He did it before he ate. He hasn't eaten in three days. He did it before he started talking to his friends about, can you believe what happened? That's crazy. He did it before he posted on Instagram, hashtag knocked off my horse. He did it before he did anything else. The first thing he did was he went and got baptized. And we don't necessarily know why. It looks like Ananias told him that, but he's seen all these other Christians do it along the way. And what we know is from that moment on, he was completely, radically changed. He was transformed. So much so that God said, hey, you're not going to be Saul anymore. You're going to be Paul. And God, I, I, I... I would say you'd have a hard time finding somebody that would argue with me if I said that that God uses Paul in the most dramatic way of anybody in the whole history of Christianity. Three different missionary journeys, 10 churches that we know of full of non-Jewish people all over the place. And guys, 13 out of the 27 books of the New Testament, like literally half of the New Testament was written by Paul. I know you'll be like reading Corinthians. You won't realize that was written by Paul. Ephesians, it was written by Paul. Romans, it was written by Paul. 13, and most of the time he was writing them from prison. He was in prison for preaching about Jesus. He eventually dies in prison or is executed in Rome. We don't know exactly what happened to him in the end. And that is the story. The whole book of Acts is full of the story of the apostle Paul. So Christian enemy number one, murder the Christians guy, Saul, becomes completely and radically changed into the apostle Paul, most important person in Christian history. And, and he did it in dramatic fashion. I mean, he was a madman for Jesus. I'll just get, I could give you a hundred examples, but here's one great example. He goes to Lystra, all right? Lystra is a really pagan city. They had a billboard when you drove into town said, what happens in Lystra stays in Lystra, okay? It was that kind of place. But the people are responding to the gospel pretty well until the jealous Jews from Jerusalem show up, get a mob together, and decide that they are going to stone Paul because he's a heretic, 
This is all part of the, the, the Judaism. It was all part of the system. And they took him outside the city and they threw rocks at him until they thought he was dead. And then they left him because when he's dead, you, you, you can't touch him anymore. They just left him there. He's laying there. He's unconscious. They think he's dead, but he's not dead. He wakes up or God brings him back or something, whatever. All we know is the, this next verse. Is, it's just so subtle, but it's so hilarious. He got up and went back into the city. It sounds exactly like one of those bad Halloween movies that's getting ready to come out right now, right? There's a bunch of teenagers and they're out in the forest and they're like, oh, look, there's an abandoned house. Let's go see what's in the abandoned house. And they go over there and they go, oh, there's nobody here. Maybe we should look in the basement. Let's go over to the basement. I mean, surely there's not a guy with a hockey mask and a chainsaw down in the basement. Let's go see what's down there, right? It's just ridiculous. Paul, how many rocks hit you in the head, man? Maybe you should have waited a couple of days before you started making decisions. But, but he would say, no, no, God told me to go to the city, so I'm going to the city. That's what happened to Paul. That was the, that was the power of God inside of him. I'm just saying, if I, if, if I went to a town and I preached there and they threw rocks at me and left me for dead and for some reason I didn't die, I would interpret that as a sign that God wanted me to go preach somewhere else <laughs> or maybe go get a real job, right? Something. But that's not what Paul does. Paul, I think Paul was just like, this is awesome. How hard is this going to be? They left me for dead. I'm going to walk back in. They're going to go, I thought he was dead. He's not dead yet. <laughs> and he'll start a church and it'll be perfect. And that's what he did. Paul was like that. He was, he was committed to the mission of, of Jesus so much. I mean, he had so many things happen to him. He didn't care about his own safety, his own comfort, his own security. He's completely changed. Now, now let me go back to that first verse that Jesus said before this whole thing gets started, right? Very beginning of the book of Acts. I'm going back up. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit with you. And when he comes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You have times every once in a while, and I mean, you know, where like you're so down and you get, you, you get just one more burst of energy, right? You, mean, you think of Michael Jordan with the flu in the NBA finals or, or, or whatever, you know, it's just like this remarkable comeback. I experienced that with my almost three-year-old granddaughter this week. While I was in California, I took her to Disneyland, and, and we spent the whole day at Disneyland, and it was just absolute heaven. She, she's a princess freak, and it was, it was incredible. So it's like 9 o'clock at night. She hasn't had a nap. She usually naps for two hours. She's been going, going, going. I think this is going to be a bad scene. And we're walking through downtown Disney, and, and there's this Latin band there. And she just got her second win. Watch. She got her dancing skills from her papa. But I'm just going to tell you, uh, the next day was not so pretty. But I got on a plane and came back home. So... Um, <laughs> Nana had to deal with it. Uh, what I'm saying is that in the book of Acts, there is this power that comes from another place, okay? It's not sugar like Olivia was jacked up on. It's not jacked up on Mountain Dew. It's not caffeine. It's not all those things. It's actually from the outside. And it comes inside and it enables us and it enabled them 57 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. He's center stage in the book of Acts. So when you're changed, you get this new power. It's completely different. And it seems like it ought to be really important to us. 
Peter said, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for a godly life. By his divine power, his power, okay? Not your power, it's his power. Everything you need. I'm not talking about greater willpower. I'm not talking about self-help. I'm not talking about overestimating yourself and, ah, you can do it, you can do it. I read a report from Seattle recently about a cop who heard somebody screaming and went and found this guy who had tried to jump a five-foot metal fence and didn't make it, and it was pointy on top, and he had it literally impaled himself on this five-foot metal fence. And so the cop went over and, you know, radioed for some help and kind of kept him up so that it wouldn't be as painful as he was there. I don't know where he got caught, but, but you know, it was not a good scene. They took him to the hospital. He made it. He was fine. The police spokeswoman said, the man thought he was a ninja. She said he was a little overconfident in his abilities and it's likely that alcohol played a role. Okay, yeah. That's what made me laugh. Yeah, obviously, right? Self-help is an oxymoron. You ain't no ninja, okay? You can't help yourself, which is why we need a power greater than ourself. I need a strength beyond my feeble willpower. And I don't know about you, but I could use some of that right now, right? And the good news is it's available to us like it was to Saul who became Paul, like it was to Peter who became the leader of the Jerusalem church, like it was to everybody, okay? It's still available to us. If we're followers of Jesus, we have the power. And frankly, I'm really tired of hearing excuses. If I can just be honest, I know, I get it, we're all broken, but what about the power? What about it? Paul said, I pray, this is my prayer for you, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Hold on. What is he saying? He's saying, if God can blow the rock off the tomb and bring a dead man back to life, which is what we all believe he's going to do for us eventually anyway, why couldn't, if that power is available to me, why can't he change me now? The Greek word for power in here is dunamis, which should not be surprising to you, is where we get the word, the English word, dynamite. Be strong, Paul said in Ephesians, in the Lord and in his mighty power, his dunamis power. He said, the weapons that we fight are not the weapons of this world. It's not your ninja power. Don't overestimate that. On the contrary, we have divine dunamis power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension, pretender to the throne that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we can take captive every thought. I can focus. I can set my mind and my focus on him to make it obedient to Christ. I can. I can do that. Because the weapons that I fight with are not the weapons of this world. Whatever sin, whatever stronghold the evil one's got in your life, whatever courage it is that you need, all of it is available to you on the inside. And it may seem like a big building and it may seem large and almost unmovable, but I get it. I understand I fight a bigger fight than probably any of you because if anybody, if there's anybody the devil wants to take down, it's going to be me. I freaking get this, okay? But if you're going to go demolish something big and strong, you don't take a hammer and a chisel. You take some C4, 
Are you with me? You need some blow it up power. You need some dunamis. And that is available to us. And when we bring that into our life, we have the power to demolish the strongholds that the devil has in our life. We have the power to get up from the stoning and walk right back into town. If that's what God wants us to do, we have the power to get up after we got stoned by our own self and get up and go back and get help and get this thing fixed. We have the power to rewrite our own history. We have the power to maybe even rewrite Christian history like the Apostle Paul did. And that same power is available to all of us. We have hundreds of people around here who would tell you that when they finally surrendered their will over to God's will and his power, that the strongholds came down. Yeah, yeah, it took, it took some time, and they had to cooperate in the whole process, and they had to take some thoughts captives, and they had to work through some steps. But you know, if you're in a recovery program, that one of the steps is submitting to the higher power. It's that God power thing that everybody knows has to come from the outside before it can break down the dependency, the codependency. It's God's power that brings down the sexual addiction and the alcoholism and the drug addiction. It's God's power that can break that insecurity we talked about in week two with with the scars and, and I wonder how people see me. It's God's power that can break down the stronghold of anger issues when we want to hate instead of love. It's God's power that can, that can help us with the grief and the fear and the bitterness that keeps us paralyzed. It's dunamis. It's the dynamite from God. For it is God working in you, giving you the, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. He doesn't just show up here during this time at your campus, wherever you are at your church. He's in you. The Holy Jesus said, I've got to leave so the Holy Spirit can come and be in you. And it's not in your little spiritual compartment over here and then all the rest of your life is over here. It's everywhere in your life because it's all spiritual and it's all you. And the Holy Spirit is dunamis inside every part of you. And the same thing that happened to Saul Turning into Paul can happen to you. And here's the important thing about this for me today. The first thing Paul did was he went and got dunked. Seems important. You go back to the first church when Peter started it in the very beginning in Jerusalem. He's preaching to the people that killed Jesus. They said, oh, no, what should we do? We we were wrong. Peter said, you should do two things. You should repent, which is to turn towards God. And you should be baptized. The word is immersion. Like that's what they did. That's the first thing you ought to do. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off and all whom the Lord our God will call. That seems important. It seemed important to them because 3,000 people did it that day immediately. They didn't wait around for their family to be here. They didn't wait around for, you know, something to happen. They didn't wait. They didn't get themselves to a place where they were good enough to get baptized. They didn't do any of that. It was a beginning spot. Jesus even did it. And and look at the Holy Spirit connected to this. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. 
And John tried to deter him, said, I need to be baptized by you. You want to come to me? And Jesus said, yeah, I want to do this to fulfill all righteousness. That's an important phrase to me. And John said, okay, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Please don't misunderstand. I don't think the Holy Spirit gets generated in our life because of a tub full of Lake Michigan water. It's not like I, I don't believe there's a radioactive spider in there that's going to bite you and you're going to have superpowers when you come out. This is symbolic. This is sacramental. This is not holy water. But this symbol of the death and the burial of my old self and the resurrection of my new self to Jesus was tied together in the New Testament with the Holy Spirit coming into people's lives and giving them the power to do unbelievable things then. It's not about later. That's all great. It's about now. The kingdom of God is now. Having been buried with him in baptism, Paul said, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. That's what baptism symbolizes. And ironically, a country band did a song about it. Um, lead singer Rascal Flatts is a great Christian guy, and I, I don't maybe the whole band is, I don't know. A lot of country music people, you know, are, are in that category. But look at the lyrics of the songs. I want you to understand it before we do it, and we'll do it at all of our campuses in just a second. It goes like this. I came up out of the water. This is about baptism. I raised my hands to the Father. I gave it all to him that day, felt a new wind kiss my face. Walked away, eyes wide open. Could finally see where I was going. It didn't matter where I'd been. I'm not the same man I was then. I'd gotten off track. I made mistakes, backslid my way into that place where souls get lost and lines get crossed and the pain won't go away. But I hit my knees. Now here I stand. There I was. Now here I am. Here I am. I'm changed. You should go watch the video. Video's a kind of a story video that Rascal Flatts did, a guy who's an alcoholic and uh, gets God in his life and, and the, the stronghold starts to come down. If you haven't done it, today is the day. Like I said, we're going to have our 9,000th baptism here at Parkview since, since I've been around today. I'm, I'm telling you that because there's been a lot of people do it. There's been a lot of people do it this weekend. You're not going to be the only one. Don't try to give me excuses because I've already got all the excuses. I got a towel for you, you know, if you need one. If you, uh, if you wore a shirt that was not the shirt, you know, that you want to necessarily get baptized in because it might be a little bit too revealing or whatever. I got a I got dunked shirt for you that is right there. If you got a fancy car and you don't want to get your seats all wet, we got trash bags you can put down for your wet, you know, your wet tushy so that you don't have to worry about that because it's nice out, by the way. It's not really going to be a big deal, right? Well, I don't, have a, I don't know where I'm going to do with my stuff. We'll give you a bag so you can put your stuff in it. You can give it to your friends or whatever. We've got a, a Bible for you. We've got, we've got uh, some information to help you with on your journey. If this is a new thing for you, maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe you got baptized as a baby and 
confirmed it later and, and you just think, you know what, I'd like to just skip over all that stuff and go back and do it the way they did it back then. Maybe that's what I'm going to do. This is your day to do it, okay? And all we're, all we're going to do is during the Rascal Flat song we're going to do in a minute, we're going to be standing. You go to the back at your campus and, and you, can, you can give your information to the people and we'll start doing it and we'll, we'll do it as, as long as we need to. And I want to invite out, uh, speaking of how weird it is that one Oklahoma pastor is here, another pastor who grew up in Oklahoma. So this is kind of how this thing, whole thing works. His name is Pastor Lonnie. Most of you know him. Um, at our other campuses online, Pastor Lonnie's been uh, involved in discipleship and pastoral care here for 23 years. And uh, yeah, I know. I wanted him to do some stuff at the end. I want him to do some of the stuff at the end because he's going to be retiring at the end of the year. Not now, but we're going to have some time to process it. I just wanted to get that word out there um, at the end of the year that he's got to get, he needs to get back to Oklahoma and be with, you know, some, be with his family that he's been away from, help take care of, of family and do some of those things. Um, you talk about an amazing story. We've called him Lon the Baptist, you know, the whole time he's been here because he's, he, a lot of you probably would say, yeah, Lonnie was really, really essential to me and my faith and, and my baptism. And, and also, I'm going to have him do the, the good confession. We're going to do it together. I wanted him to lead it. But he's also just another exam. Not only is he from Oklahoma, but he's also in a wheelchair. And you, you want to talk about least likely? How about a guy who at age 19 was in an auto accident and, and became a paraplegic? You want to talk about least likely to be somebody who could be 23 years in Chicago, getting in and out of, 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 of hospitals and all the stuff that he's done in our weather and be the person that he's been. He is an example of the power of God. So he's going to lead us. And I would like for you to stand and we're going to ask you to repeat the good confession, if you would. You could clap for him after that, after he does this, okay? That'll be perfect. And, and again, he's not going to be gone for a while, but, but wanted to let you know because he's been around. He's been a part of this journey. It's going to be a long, hard goodbye for all of us. Um, yes. I, I just want you to know that. Uh, and he's going to lead us. And when you're ready then, when we start singing that song, go to the back. I'm going to jump in the tub. We're going to be ready to go. Um, all your campuses, they're going to be ready to go. We're going to be ready for you. Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? Lonnie, take it away. Repeat after me. I believe, I believe that, Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and He is my Lord and Savior. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen.